Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Financia, Coast to Main Podcast, and the host of the Source Financia YouTube channel, of course, back with another one. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Okay, so we have uh, um, quite a few questions over here, but Richard, before I take questions from the audience, I wanted to come back to your presentation and talk a little bit about sourcing from you know, Vietnam and India and how that compares to sourcing from China, specifically talking about negotiating, you know, like in, in terms of prices and MOQs, what are some strategies that people can employ when they're negotiating with suppliers in, let's say, India or Vietnam? Yeah, no, to be honest with you, uh, we don't see much of a difference um, mm. in these particular issues, whether MOQs, terms of payments, uh, uh, things of that nature. They, they tend to be, you know, fairly similar in terms of their responses. Suppliers in Vietnam or in India or elsewhere, to be honest with you, in emerging markets tend to have, um, of course, MOQs. Of course, they have payment terms, which usually are very similar to the ones you'd find in China, at least originally when you start working with them. Uh, those payment terms will evolve over time as you start building those relationships. But at the outset of a new relationship, typically um, you can expect, you know, like the 30% down payment and the 70% against the, uh, a copy of the bill of lading. Those types of, um, those types of demands are very, very similar and pervasive uh, throughout all of the uh, Asian region, to be perfectly honest with you. In terms of MOQs, I mean, you can, of course, use different tactics, but you can use them also uh, also in China just as well as anywhere else in terms of, you know, trying to convince suppliers again uh, that uh, as a start starting order, you need, you know, to be able to order smaller quantities, To particularly in the e-commerce space. You know, you've got lots of startup situations of companies wanting to test products in their particular markets and see if they're going to get an uptick or not. Sometimes the MOQs are a little higher than those companies would, would hope for. And, um, you know, so again, uh, it's more about selling your buy than it is anything else quite often to try to convince them that, you know, you are a serious outfit with, you know, uh, good management to succeed. That's the issue to be honest with you. You know, we get also contacted probably 10 times a day by e-commerce companies, many startups and what have you who want us to help them source. It's just impossible for us to handle all of these requests. Uh, and the challenge for everybody, for us and for the manufacturers in China or Vietnam is to try to uh, identify who of those startups will potentially be successful because there's just so many of them and it's impossible for us to go and support all of them. So, um, you know, it's you know, understanding who the management team is, what funds they've got at their disposal to try to launch their business. All these things are critical for us and for the manufacturers. And if they see that in place, then, you know, they might very well, of course, reduce their MOQs if they feel like they've got a potential winning partner there that they can grow the business with over time. Right. So particularly for e-commerce companies I'm talking about, I'm talk we're talking about large multinationals. The MOQ issue is not the issue, but if you're an e a startup company and, you know, cash flow is important and you want to test your market with new products, given the, the competitive landscape of so many startup companies out there, you've got to do a, a good job at selling yourselves as, you know, one which will be successful. That's right. 
Also, a lot of these countries, uh, you know, India, Vietnam, and all logistics is not very well developed. And, uh, you know, like the ports are maybe not as efficient as they are in China. So what advice do you have for people in terms of, you know, delivery lead times or in, in terms of managing logistics? What should they be aware of and how, how do they you know, prepare themselves to, to manage logistics? I would say in countries like Vietnam right now, um, the, the logistics are pretty reliable. We export a lot from Vietnam, and to be perfectly honest with you, we don't see much of a distinction right now in terms of reliability uh, uh, coming out of Vietnam than we see coming out of China. Uh, India, I would say, it's probably a bit more complex, uh, driven by the size of the country, and particularly by the fact that many suppliers are sometimes quite remote from ports. So it's not so much the logistics, I would say, from the port to whichever final destination the vessel might be going to, but it's usually more the internal logistics within a country like India, where the infrastructure is a lot less developed than you might see in, uh, in a country like China, which is of the same side, if you will, or same magnitude. So, yeah, so you've got to, you know, quality control becomes critical because, of course, um, you know, you want to make sure first that other factory, the products are good before they get loaded on the container. And, you know, you're going to make sure that um, you leave enough lead time uh, between the time you've done the quality control at the factory and the time the uh, the goods need to be delivered at the port for um, onboarding onto the vessel to make sure that that can happen and you can actually catch the vessel. That, I would say, in India is the critical issue that you've got to face. Uh, but like I said, in Vietnam, um, the country is a lot smaller. Uh, most of the factories are pretty close to a port. You know, they usually tend to concentrate around the Ho Chi Minh or um, in the north, um, the capital city, whose name I now forget. I'm going crazy but you know Ho Chi Minh in the south and you've got uh, uh, Hanoi. Hanoi. Hanoi there we go thanks for that <laughs> Hanoi in the north they tend to be concentrated most of the suppliers around those regions close to very good deep sea ports and the logistics coming out of there are not particularly more challenging than what you have out of China right? okay awesome okay let's take a few questions so Gia has um, pretty long questions I'm going to read this out and let's see who can answer this so uh, we purchase some of them, some of the manufacturers' original packaging, while others we label the products with our brand information. Manufacturers have obtained their own compliance certification under factory names like CEROHHS FCC. We are not sure if we can use the manufacturer certification to do importation straight away, or do we have to apply the compliance certification under our own name as an importer? So. Who can answer this? <laughs> well, if it's if it's straight white labeling and they're just they're just changing the packaging, then they can still use the factory's certifications. But if they make any changes to the product, then they have to go through their own certification process. Okay. So that's pretty much it. Okay. But the key is to verify that the supplier certificate are valid. Huh? Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, of course. Nico was talking about this PPE situation. I mean, it was a complete sham. Uh, for several months. Uh, yeah, yeah, for and, sure. Uh, there were people peddling, you know, CE certificates and FDA certificates, which were basically wrong mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. false. And uh, and that's one of the reasons why many people got into trouble because they tried to import with basically invalid certificates flushed out by suppliers which had basically fabricated them. And so um, the bigger issue is that one, to ensure that the certificates are issued by bodies that are, you know, that are... Uh, authorized to issue them and that are still valid in terms of dates and you can do that by checking on the uh, so what you've got to do you've got to get the certificate copies of the certificates from the suppliers see who the body is 
and verify with those bodies whether they truly have issued those certificates. Uh, because more often than not, you'll find that those certificates have been fabricated. Yeah, I'm I mean, talking about PPE very specifically, yeah, and the PPE situation. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and I mean, with the FDA, for example, with the, going back to the PPA discussion, with FDA, you could check their website. Uh, with C, there are certain websites that have the that you can also verify, and then there's a lot of governing boards that will verify whether these certifications are are accurate or not. And another thing, um, Richard just reminded me of is make sure that the certification, like the the company listed on the certification actually matches the manufacturer that you're working with. Because a lot of times what happens is a trading company will be selling you a product or they'll be sourcing products from other factories and then they'll use, you know, one of their factories, uh, one of their partner factories certifications and try to put that product under the same umbrella. And of course, if somebody actually looks into it, you would be like um, legally liable for those, those kind of situations. Which site should we look into in order to order smaller quantities? So you can go to Global Sources, uh, use the small order filter on Global Sources after you do a search. So there are quite a few suppliers that do accept small orders nowadays. So you can definitely go ahead and do that. Somebody's asking for your prices. So you can um, check out their website, sourcefindasia.com. And uh, the services will be listed over there. We'll also be sending out the presentations by uh, email. Okay, so this question is from Michael Enrico. I have just managed to watch this webinar. Do you have the checklist of what documents or declarations that are needed for submitting to the U.S. authorities and share with us? Or is this included in your expertise service? I think we'd probably need more information on what they're trying to ship to, mm -hmm. to accurately answer that question. If they're asking for particular PPE items, then yes, we might have the checklist uh, as to what they need. But I think we would need some more background into what they're shipping, where they're shipping to, who, who they are in order to answer that correctly. Okay. And also in our, um, in our digital summit, we will be covering the import-export process, which will include uh, discussing what sort of certifications and checklists for various products. Obviously, we can't cover everything, but we'll try to give as much information as possible. And also, just to mention, we, we have all those lists and, and info for the products that we were importing, importing into the States. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. All right, so Stephen is asking, what is the standard for deposit and final payment before the goods are delivered 3070? So yeah, Stephen, it's usually 3070 for suppliers. That's Those are the general payment terms. So guys, if you have any more questions, we have a few more minutes before we sign off over here. Let us know if you have any more questions. So Rico and Michael, I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, you of course specialize in and focus on China. So what are some of the drawbacks uh, of, you know, sourcing from other countries in, in your view? My perspective is this. I think um, as Richard was talking about, we get a lot of inquiries um, with people wanting to source from outside of China. I think some of the misconceptions that people have is that everything is less expensive um, in, in the other countries and that it's easy to find suppliers. I think what we have to remember is that Chinese companies, Chinese manufacturers have gotten accustomed to being able to squeeze profit out of small margins and small productions. Whereas a lot of other countries haven't, they don't have the infrastructure, they haven't done it enough times to know how to kind of cut down their costs and still make an effective product at a small quantity. So a lot of the, the inquiries we get for um, smaller orders, when we start to talk to suppliers in other countries, you know, they're, they're basically disinterested and then another thing I noticed is, um, this is specifically with Vietnam, and Richard, you can correct me if I'm wrong, 
But when we've spoken to a lot of some of the Vietnamese suppliers, there is a little bit more of an expectation of us as the menu, as the buyer to provide certain things like, for example, raw materials. If we have a specific raw material that we wanted to use um, that is unusual for them, they would say to us, go find it and, and send it to us and we'll make the product. Whereas in China, it's usually they'll source that raw material for you. So it's, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, I think you definitely have to, um, with China, you can deal with it more remotely. I think with, with places like Vietnam and the other countries, you definitely have to have like, you have to either be there yourself or you need to have somebody there that you can trust that can actually handle a lot of these things for you. So that's my experience so far in terms of the misconceptions that people have. Yeah, supply chains are not very well developed, I guess, in these countries. Yeah. Okay, last question to um, each of you over here. Crystal Ball, so what are some of the trends that you see impacting the sourcing industry in 2021? Richard, do you want to go first? Well, I think the biggest trend is the move out of China situation. I mean, uh, I think it's going to continue. Uh, there's, of course, political pressure and tension, as we know, particularly between the U.S. and China. I don't believe whoever wins the elections in a few days uh, will have any impact on that. Uh, either side, Democrats and Republicans, are pumping up the pressure on China, and so that's going to maintain, be maintained. So I don't think the duties are going to disappear. The political pressures are there, economic pressures are there with the duties, but also with inflationary pressure in China. And so that's going to be, I think, the biggest move in 2021. It's going to be the continued demand made by driven mainly by U.S. customers for um, moving away from China and finding alternatives. Uh, but as Rico was saying, it's not an easy task. Uh, I would say, you know, we work a lot on these types of requests. Nine times out of ten, they fail. Nine times out of ten, they fail. Uh, for all kinds of reasons. Um, because the preparedness of suppliers in those countries is not what it, you know, is in China. So the trend will be there. It's going to be tough to fulfill those requirements. Uh, but I think it's going to be the major, the major issue in 2021, an attempt to move away from China, from the U.S.-based companies, and an attempt by alternative countries in Southeast Asia, India, Mexico mainly, to try to ramp up the capabilities to meet that kind of a demand. Michael, what about you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to add to what Richard said. I, I completely agree that things are uh, continuing to move out of China. I, I, like like he said, though, it's not an easy process. I don't think it happens overnight. I've seen it happen, been happening, you know, pretty much since I, I started sourcing, you know, seen a gradual movement as uh, cost of living and, and, and prices in areas like South China start to go up. Certain industries start to move out, whether that's to North China, Northwest China, Vietnam, Bangladesh. So I, I completely agree that that's the direction that things will continue to move. And then I'd also like to say just with everything that we've seen with COVID, seen kind of a shift in the workplace, right? It, it was kind of moving that direction anyway, but COVID has accelerated the process to more uh, e-based platforms. Things aren't required as much for physical meetups. So, and I think that'll carry over to sourcing trends as well. More e-based platforms, e-based meetings, e-based conferences, and the products necessary in order to host these events. I think we'll, we'll start to notice that as well. Rico, what about you? Yeah, I agree with Mike. I, I, I think, I mean, we were lucky because last year I, was, I started traveling a lot outside of China for business and personal reasons. 
And uh, we implemented a remote work system within the company towards the end of uh, last summer. So by the time COVID happened, we were kind of accustomed to it. Whereas a lot of the industries in China were not used to that and they've had to catch up. I think there's going to be more of a reliance on just online work in terms of sourcing and just sort of digitalizing that whole process, whether it's, uh, I've seen some factories in the past that had live webcam feeds of their productions and things like that. Uh, virtual tours, 3D tours, that kind of stuff. I think that there's going to be a little bit more of a focus on bringing the factories into the 21st century technology-wise. And of course, the, I mean, the Chinese government's already made it a little bit more strict for these factories to work. So they have to kind of modernize themselves to still compete um, is what I, I see happening. Exciting times for the sourcing industry, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Michael, Richard, Enrico, for your time today and sharing all of this uh, great information and uh, wonderful insights. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Made in China podcast. If you want to reach out to us, that's podcast at sourcefinasia.com. If you want to check out the show notes from the episode that you just watched, that's sourcefinasia.com slash made in China. And be sure to also check out our YouTube channel, sourcefinasia, all one word. Cheers. But a dream to me. I don't wanna wake up 30 yard years without having my cake up. So I'm by my paper 24 7, 365, 366 in a leap. I don't know why we here. Since we gotta beat here, life is but a beast. Went from having shabby clothes to crossing over Abbey Road. Hear my angel singing to me. I just hope I'm